lot to kind of learn and bring in. And that really brings us uh, to this week. This week, we'll be uh, titling the sermon, God and His People. God and His People will be in Exodus 29, starting in verse 38, going to the end of the chapter. Um, <coughs> that was random. <coughs> so now that we have everything consecrated, the next book or the next question becomes essentially, what now? And that's where we pick up our story tonight. At the end of our time, we're going to be walking towards communion again. I'm just telling you that in advance, getting you ready. We don't have a ton of content tonight, but the content um, is really, really awesome. It's very, it's very cool. We, we have this whole overarching problem inside of the Christian church today where we try to separate continually the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And we know fundamentally here at, at Monsieur Day Church that that is a huge biblical error. That is, that is a gross violation of his word. The God of Genesis is the same God of Revelation, is the same God of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of those are the one same God. And in him, there is no shifting of shadow or variation. He is immutable. He is the same today as he was yesterday and ever will be. And when we look at this particular uh, section of verses, it's only, it's only like nine verses, but there's so much packed in there that reminds us of the consistent character and nature of God and that he has always been doing what he has always been doing. God has always been doing the same thing. And that's, that's just, that should be so overwhelmingly comforting to us as his people. There's no, like God has never not been doing what he has always done. He has always been doing it. And I think that that is so evident tonight. It's going to be time for us to rejoice as we remember in communion as well. All right. So now that we have a consecrated altar, we have a consecrated sacrificial process, and we have a consecrated priest, the question becomes, what next? And we find that starting in verse 38 of chapter 29. Now, 20, 38 through 42, the first half, like 42a, are going to give us the what, the what of what to do next. And then when we look at the, the end of it, it's going to be the why we're doing that. So the what of what happens now, now that we have a consecrated priest, altar, right? We have, a, we have a consecrated process of sacrificing. What now? Well, in essence, we're gonna have to get to work, right? We're gonna have to do the sacrificing. So the what becomes starts in verse 38, and we'll read to the first half of, of verse 42 to get a outline of what they're to do now that they are all fully consecrated. So here we go. We pick up the reading here in verse 38. Here's what it says. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two one-year-old lambs each day continuously. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And there shall be one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of beaten oil, and one-fourth of a hen of wine for a libation with one lamb. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with it the same grain offering as the morning and the same libation for a soothing aroma and offering by fire to the Lord. It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord. This is the what. What's going to happen now? This. This is it. We just read it. That's what's going to happen. It will be a perpetual daily offering 
on the consecrated altar using the consecrated process of God by the consecrated person of God. Every day, morning and evening. Twilight is actually a hard word, by the way, not because it was a stupid set of graphic novels but, or, or novels, but because specifically, and now don't offense everybody, no offense, Harry Potter was stupid too. All right, so now that, now that everyone's offended, the, <laughs> the, the twilight, uh, word twilight actually is, just means any time where it's not fully light or dark. So it's like there's actually three separate twilight times of day. I don't know if you knew that formally, but it's a kind of a hard word. This means the evening time of twilight before the sun goes down. So as in the morning, when the sun is coming up, we have a sacrifice for the morning, we have a sacrifice for the evening, and this would happen every day forever. <laughs> that's, the, that's the command here. A perpetual, continuous, sacrificial system. Morning and evening, every day. Additionally, the, the what contains the sacrifice itself. And the sacrifice here communicated in the scripture in almost all of our translations I would, I would reckon, yeah, I think, I, I would think that's accurate, is, um, is translated lamb, right? Two lambs would be sacrificed, one in the morning, one in the evening. Now, the problem here is that the word lamb is kind of inaccurate, and there's a reason the word lamb is used, but the word lamb is actually kibiz, that's the word for lamb here in the Hebrew, and the problem with lamb is it's, it's not, it's not a... It's not like what you would think of a lamb traditionally, just like a lamb. But here's the problem. We don't know things as a people anymore. We just don't know them. Here, the word kabiz is a gendered word for, don't get offended, that, that's, that's what happens. Language is gendered, okay, just to be clear. Male, female, masculine, feminine. It's a gendered word for a male lamb. This is essentially the same idea of a ram. This is a ram, a one-year-old male lamb or a ram. So it's the same type of sacrifice we're seeing previously. We have a one-year-old ram for the morning and for the evening. Um, rarely would there be an offering of a female lamb. It would have been a, in a rare exception-based case that a female lamb would have been offered. The word is translated as such because it is easier for a culture that has removed itself from any familiarity with terms for flock animals. Here's the reality of it. Here's what happened. People stopped knowing what it was like to have herd animals. We just, just didn't know. Flock animals. We had no idea. We didn't know what it was like on a farm, all right? Not many of us in here do much with the, in the way of farming. So they use lamb because it's easier for us to understand. But this is a male ram. We have a one-year-old ram slaughtered in the morning and the night. This is not like a little, like you're thinking like a little, oh, it's a little cutie bit. No, this is a full-grown sheep, a male sheep, a full-grown one, all right? It's a big, this is a big thing again, yet again, a full-size ram. And it's two a day, morning and evening. Additional components to this offering included some other things. So not only is it the ram itself that's being offered in the morning and the evening, but we have uh, finely ground flour mixed with pure oil, and we additionally have wine for a drink offering. This is every day, continuously, morning and evening. So it's a regular burnt offering. It's a food offering, and that's, that's an important factor here because a burnt offering signified its connection uh, to atonement, right? And so not only is it an atoning offering, but it is particular to food. It is a consumable. 
It was essentially like we saw both a drink, right? A libation offering, a drink offering, and we have grain mixed with oil. We have a meat. We have a full spread. It is a food offering and a burnt offering. It is impossible to mistake the times and type of offering. There, these were consecrated atonement offerings that brought the people into fellowship with the Lord for both breakfast and dinner cooked on God's holy grill. You cannot miss this. It is explicitly there. Morning, evening, food offerings. Both of them are meals and they are completely burnt. This is God emphatically calling his people into fellowship with him. Right? That's what this is. This is God being offered what a meal and, and him receiving it as a fellowship offering with his people. But it's being completely consumed because in order for him to fellowship, there must be atonement. It's this beautiful process. It is this every day they are to wake up and they are reminded that God is their God and he wants to be their God. Not only that, but he is receiving them as his people. He is communing with them. He has brought them into fellowship every day. Their day would begin with that reminder. Every night they would be reminded before they went to sleep. It's there in the text continually. And that's the important part. That's really the most important part because this, this is a short little process for us to understand. After we've outlined the seven days of blood and sacrificing that went into consecrating right the, the priests and then additionally the altar itself, this is just an outlining of why. Like, yeah, okay, we have a process here. This, this what is a sacrifice, but why? Why does God have this set up for morning and evening every day for the rest of time for his people? Obviously, not to the rest of time. Genesis 3 tells us that there will be a time when there would be a sacrifice that would end all sacrifices, right? That there was going to be coming a Messiah, a anointed Savior. We know this from Genesis 3. For now, for this time, this was perpetual. This was to be continuous, unbroken. But that's because God also wanted to be with his people in an unbroken way. Amen? I don't know if any of this is feeling familiar to you. It should feel very familiar to you. It, it should, it is, this type of thought should draw us in because it is what we have seen throughout God's church in the New Testament. Let's examine the why. The why comes in the second half of 42 all the way to verse 46, ending the chapter. The why God sets it up this way. Why? Morning and evening, every day perpetually, would you offer a burnt sacrifice of a food offering and a drink offering? Why would you do that? All right, let's read it together. The second half of verse 42, we'll go to the end of the chapter. I'll just jump back and read all of 42 because it's hard to break up a verse. It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you. And I will meet there with the sons of Israel, and it shall be consecrated by my glory. And I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. And I will do, by the way, you read that verse and you're just like, well, then why did we offer all the bulls? I don't know, but I'm just, we'll, we'll talk about it. 
<clears throat> and I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. This is like a momentous fulfillment of everything that Exodus promised. This, the, these short verses, this, is, this isn't just the why behind the sacrifice. This is the why behind the whole thing happening. Like we've come to chapter 29, the end of chapter 29, and here it is. This is it. This is the thing that we forgot about because that was like back in Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 6. Like we've totally forgotten about it. This is why, this is what God said would happen. This is the why behind God calling the people to himself, redeeming them out of Egypt. And here, and here it is in this innocuous section at the end of consecrating the priest. But it is here nonetheless. The why is because God is God. Well, duh, that's kind of redundant. It's kind of, it's kind of simplistic. And the Hebrews were his people. That's why. Everyone, that's enough. Like, we don't think that. Like, we're, look, we, we constantly look for more. Like, what's the next thing, right? I don't know what God wants me to do, or I don't feel like God's moving me a certain way. No, God is God, and he has called you as his people. Is, is the, it's the thing. It's the fullness of the thing. It should be more than enough, because every day... He wants to be in relationship with you. He loves you. That's, that's insane. It's, it doesn't make any sense, but it's true. The passage specifically in verse 43 says that he consecrated the tent of meeting by his very presence. This is what I meant when I read verse 44, because all of this sounds a little frustrating, right? Um, specifically in verse 43, it says, and it shall be consecrated by my glory, then it goes on in verse 44, and I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. And the whole thing feels like, well, if God can just do that, why do we have this whole process outlined? Of course God can do that. Of course God can consecrate as he wills, his glory, his holiness, certainly can. Amen? God's glory is not, is not diminished by that. He can do that. So why did we read all of this? And why is it so important to know this thing? His glory is, of course, what consecrates the tabernacle. Of course it does. Of course it sets it apart. If it's not that, then it's just a fancy building. Of course his glory is what sets it apart. And of course it is his glory in worship that sets apart every piece of the process of worshiping God. It's all about his glory, right? Why did he create man? For his glory. Why do we exist to glorify God? That is it. That's the sum total of your being is to glorify God. All the problems come in specifically when that ceases to be our being, just, just so we're all on the same page. That when we stop doing that, that's when stuff hits the fan, right? So of course it's his glory that consecrates the being, but why all the stuff then? Why all this process why the blood? Why the death? Why the, why the intricacy, the detail? Why all of that? 
It's because the obedience of the sacrificial system, right, was a gracious means accepted by God for consecration. Obedience was the point. He is what makes holy. We've already read Hebrews. We know that all of the atoning blood of animals was simply a shadow. It was simply graciously accepted by God. It was not enough to simply atone for the sin of man through the sin through the blood of a bull. It wasn't enough. Yet God graciously received it because he's kind, because he desired his people. He loved his people. He called his people. He was faithful to his people. But it was his glory that truly brought the consecration. The blood wasn't enough. He received it out of grace. And so the process of, of, of sacrificing was to remain obedient to the Lord. How, how, of, course, of course, how true that is. How right that is. It's still true today. Like, there is nothing you can do, right? Follow me. There's nothing you can do to be atoned for. There's nothing you can give that can actually save you, right? We know this. This process is obvious and clear. It's always from grace. Amen? Always. And so it is, it's not you that do, does anything. It's your obedience that makes anything happen. See, God is going to receive his glory. The question, the question is simply whether or not we're going to be able to see it. God will get his glory. He will be glorified in every evil action that he redeems. He is always glorified. He will be glorified in every justice mandated and given out to every sin. Always glorified. The question is, is that justice but out in Christ? And so we were able to literally see God work because he has redeemed us? Or will we find out one day, because we have hated God with the fullness of our being, and stand before him and see what judgment truly is like? Was it met out on his son, or is it going to be met out through us and the judgment we receive? The obedient piece, the obedience portion is that faithfulness that we desire. That's the, that's the, that's the call, right? constantly, we, we repeat, we want to be found faithful. Not perfect. We're not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. Congratulations. I hope that is a huge burden off of you. But may we be found faithful. May we be faithful to repent. May we be faithful to, as best we can, adhere to what God has revealed. May we faithfully do that in our own lives, in our own homes, in our own church, in our, in our work, right? In our, in our town, in our county, in our state, in our country, in our geographic region, in our continent, in the world, in the universe, may we be found faithful. That's why there's a process. That's why obedience is key. God was giving them something so that they could obey. It goes back to the question, like, why did God make the tree of life? Why, did, why, would, why, why would he make the tree of, of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil? Why would he put those things right in the garden where Adam and Eve could see and behold and participate in interacting with those things? Why not just, why just not, not have them, right? Like, 
We can play that theodicy game, except God was made to be glorified by man. Worship was always inherent in the creation. Always. It's always been there. And so obedience went forward. A creative mandate to follow with instructions. Right? A don't, right? That was a list of do's. And a don't. Do not eat from that tree. Do's and don'ts set up by God for his glory so that obedience could be present. Here, how to consecrate a priest. Do's and don'ts. There they are. Now that we have it all consecrated, what do we do? We offer sacrifices day and night to show that God himself has called us to be a people in fellowship and community with him. What do we have to obey? I mean, wow, we have, we have a much more complex because we have it much more simple, which is true. The law is easy. It's a process. It's literally a checklist. Like checklists are great, right? Did I get everything packed for the trip? Thank goodness I have a checklist. Clearly I didn't. There is an unchecked item. Very simple, right? How do I be holy? Here's the list, God says. Okay, well, I missed all of these. So those ways I'm not holy. I need to offer sacrifices. This is very simple. You know what's harder? Love God with your whole life. What does that mean? That's crazy. My whole life, like everything, like really, like all the time? Or like what portions does that not cover? <laughs> no, no, your whole life, all of it, everything, every little bit. That's actually very simple and incredibly complex, right? The problem is because it's so simple, the complexities are endless. They apply everywhere to all things at all times. That's the problem with 100%. Yet that's what God expects. That's what he calls us to. The best part is, you're going to fail, here's grace. You're going to mess it up, here's grace. We can be thankful. We can rejoice in that grace, all the while knowing that that call is to obedience. Whew. This section, the reason I'm saying it's like this hinge pin, the reason I'm saying it's the point of why Exodus began, the beginning of the book, is because specifically it is the fulfillment, Right? It is the fulfilling of the sign that was given. Do you remember the sign that was given? I mean, there was a sign given way back in Exodus 3, verse 12 and 6, verse 7. These two things, way back then. I mean, it's literally like two years ago when we talked about these things. But these things were given as a sign, and they're fulfilled in this passage. Let's look at them together. You'll actually have to turn there, by the way, if you want to see them. It's one book, guys. I'm in one book tonight. I think we can handle it. So go back to Exodus chapter 3, we'll read verse 12. We'll do it together, it's okay. Exodus 3, verse 12, is God speaking directly to Moses. Here is what he says in Exodus 3, verse 12. And he said, God said, certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Right? There it is. Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. So just a few pages. Don't go, don't go page crazy here. Just a few pages. Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. Then I will take, for, take you... 
for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Exodus 29. Let's hear it even again. Start in verse 43. I will meet there with the sons of Israel, and it shall be consecrated by my glory. And I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. This is why. This is why God called a people to himself, so that he would be their God. Now, this is truly overwhelming, what God has just done. God has established his process of worship. Hopefully, we get that. You you see how it unfolds and makes sense. Here's the law, okay? You're going to fail it. You need a system of atonement. Here is the consecration of those that will be able to make that offering. And here's how you will begin that process daily, every day, morning and night. It all unfolds. It all makes a lot of sense. Now, we've been in it for a long time. But the reason it exists is because this is the right worship of God. God was fulfilling his word that the people would be his people and he would be their God. Here's a little quote from Douglas Stewart's commentary, the New American Commentary on Exodus. It says, 68 times in the Old Testament, God told his people that he wanted wanted them to know that I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, all right? 68 times throughout the Old Testament. This was a different concept from knowing that Yahweh existed. It was a sort of semantically loaded shorthand for the assertion, quote, know that I who created and control all things and have all power and have been providing all these supernatural blessings for you that you have been witnessing, am Yahweh. There is no other God doing these things, but only me, Yahweh. Give up your polytheism, your pantheism, your syncretism, and believe that I am the only God and place your full faith in me, obeying my covenant. That's the really longhand way of what God is saying in a very clear shorthand here. He has called them out from every form of religion that they knew inside of Egypt, every form of it. And he has called them into a brand new worship. This is not worship of anything else or like anything else. Essentially, the Hebrews right here in this passage with the establishment of atoning sacrifice and the daily covenantal sacrifices, right? Right here. These are the only people on the face of creation that were actually and rightly worshiping. Like, fathom that for a minute. They are not the only people on the face of the earth at this time. But they are the only people group that are truly worshiping. Every other people group at this time are falsely worshiping. They are worshiping nothing. They could have 
shadows and forms of even this exact worship system, and they are doing nothing but wasting their time and energy chasing after themselves. The only people on the entire globe that are worshiping truly are the Hebrews. Why? Because they're the only ones worshiping God as God called them to worship. Every other God is false. Every other God is not real. They are, they are fictional. They are just shadows of man that are being worshiped by man. There's only one people that are worshiping God, and that's the Hebrews. So of course he's repeating this concept, right? I am your God. You are my people. It comes to this last few words here that where God says, I am the Lord, their God. All of this is about them understanding the possessive nature of the Lord over his people and the people too in relationship to the Lord. And that's why this is so awesome and so amazing because we know this. This God is always the same God. Amen? Amen. He's been the same God since Genesis. He will be the same God long after we feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb. This God doesn't change. We become uncomfortable with things that are true that we would rather not be true. Namely, one of them being that God is holy. We're very uncomfortable with that. We don't like it. It turns out also the world doesn't like it. I forget what I was listening to this week. Somebody was, was making some sort of form argument that, that you know, um, you have to have a certain, uh, uh, you, a certain style or, or form of worship that, you know, can draw a crowd, can, make a, 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 can, can bring people in to the church. And I thought that was absolutely stupid. Drawing a crowd isn't easy. Some of the f- most foolish and ridiculous things draw crowds, don't they? Don't we watch the most stupid and ridiculous things draw a crowd of people to it? In fact, oftentimes, the more ridiculous and foolish you are, right, the more people will come to hear and see what you are doing and saying, right? I mean, absolutely, I, I kid you not, if I bought like a really weird rainbow robe and I had blue hair, we would draw a huge crowd of people to this church every time we preached, every time. Wouldn't we? Sure. Who doesn't want to come see that freak? Yeah, I said, I said it out loud. You're all, just calm down. But they would. People would come to see it. Throw a little fog machine together, Right? Give me a little bit of a light display. Holy crud. People come to see that stuff. You know what people hate? That God is holy and they're not. People hate that. They do. They don't want to hear that. That they're not holy and God is. That God has, that God would have some sort of expectation. Here's the thing. I, I talked about this before. The Bible tells us, Jesus Christ himself tells us, he actually calls us to love our enemies. Amen? That's true. God says, love your enemies. That is a ridiculous thing to say. It's ridiculous. And our world hates it. Our world hates that idea. Our world comes off as so loving, right? The lies of Satan over and over again. It's so, uh, it accepts you. It affirms you. It receives you, right? 
These are the words. These are the, the religious totem words of, of our world's forms of worship, aren't they? But, but hear it, like hear it and understand it. God has enemies. God does not want you, hear me. He doesn't want you to affirm your enemies. I'm sorry, let me, I made a jump. God doesn't want you to affirm his enemies. God wants his enemies, if you are his people, to be your enemies. God does not want you to affirm your enemies. He doesn't, right? Are you, are you, I don't know if you're comfortable with this. This is the truth. So you can be uncomfortable with the truth. God instead, right? Instead of you placating your enemies so that they are actually your friends and have no idea that they're your enemies, right? Because you don't tell them the truth. You just buddy, buddy, chum, chum with them hang out, pal around, we get some food and drink. We keep saying to ourselves, one day we'll probably win the right to share with them the truth, right? That's, that's the verbiage, right? So we're friends. No, you're enemies. Tell me, what's harder? What is harder? To be fake friends with your enemies or to have enemies and love them? I can tell you what, it's harder to love your enemies. That's what's harder. It's easy to lie to people that are your enemies so that you can just be frenemies with them. That's easy. It's so easy. It's really hard to look at someone and tell them the truth that God has given while also trying to care for them. See, the difference will not look any different. A person that's lying to someone to create a frenemy is going to have that person over, invite that person over for dinner, is going to try to meet physical needs for them, is going to share in kind and happy times with them. The person that's loving their enemy will do all of those things, except they will also tell them the truth. They will be honest with them. I'm not saying that those things look totally different. I'm saying they sound completely different. The one person will have to receive all of that love in physical form, knowing that they also have to receive that love in verbal form at the same time. And people will do that. I have people that I am very clear with the truth on and don't agree with the truth that I'm very clear on that will receive the love from me because you know what? I'm not blowing smoke up their rear end. They, they know that I love them. I truly love them. And that there's a disagreement and that it doesn't just magically go away because I want things in life to be easy. Rather, I want them to be true. That God has called a people here and they are the only people on the face of the planet worshiping them, worshiping him rightly, was to create a beacon for the world to see Every people group should have conformed themselves to become Hebrews. 
Israelites worshiping the one true God. But the same thing, hear me, the same thing that Israel failed at is the same thing we fail at. There are churches to false gods all over the place. There are false gods being worshipped right now, today, in this very geographic place. Everyone should be conforming themselves to the right worship of Yahweh. Amen? Right now, like currently, that's the same God. He has called you to worship. We know how to worship him. You know what Israel failed at? Israel failed to obey God. When they did, uh, we have account, stories recounted of people coming to, to Israel. Right? We, have, we have stories. It's not like it didn't happen. It did happen. It just didn't happen in total. That's for sure. We know that. We know people come to know Christ. We, we know that. It's true. It certainly isn't in total. Why? Because we fail to obey God. Like, we do have a faithfulness issue. And I believe, I, I look around the room and I truly believe I, I see some of the most faithful people that I know in this room. That's a rejoice. That's, we should rejoice in that. Are we all the way faithful? Are we completely faithful? Do we sacrifice morning and night because God has commanded it? Do we? Like, are we willing to, like, actually open our mouths? Like, you know what's funny? It's funny. <laughs> our, our culture gets it. We live, we live in the dregs of a Christian culture. It's the dregs. It's the, the, the stringy sinew of, like, undercooked meat, just barely holding on. Like, that's gross. Did I, give that, did I make a nasty illustration? That was point here. That's what we live in. And yet, even in this culture, there are some things we will not accept. You are seeing cultural movements that are not willing to accept the forcing of affirming people in transgenderism. It's like it suddenly became a line too far. Stop pushing this stuff on our kids. Stop enforcing it in law that we must do or don't with this horrible ideology. And you know how you're seeing it? It's easy. It's a passive way of seeing it, right? By now, most of you are aware that Bud Light had a campaign involving a transgender spokesperson. You know what happened? Passively, it's easy. People stopped buying Bud Light. Now, I would encourage you that holiness would call you to never buy Bud Light. That's what I would encourage you as, right? That's light beer. Stop it. Repent, right? That's what I would, I would encourage that. Whenever you're going to eat or drink, we should always seek to be doing that well. Amen? Okay. That's what I would say. Apart from that, many people don't because they're godless people and they drink Bud Light. And you know what? Even they were like, this is too much. And all you know what? It's passive. All you have to do is not buy Bud Light, okay? That's right. See how that's easy, right? Big issue, same thing happened. Target this past week, did you know that? Same thing happened. They're shoving this, like, it's not just rainbows anymore, which, by the way, are gods. We all, amen? Rainbows are gods. Iron, it's the biggest irony that they've co-opted the rainbow. 
the symbol of God saying, I will not condemn the world fully by flood for its sin anymore. And they're like, this represents sin now. Oh my gosh, you don't even get it, right? Like, but now it's not just rainbows. It's clothing specifically designed so that you can shove manhood away from you as a man. Set up in the front of the store. And guess what? Even in the dregs of this Christian culture, people are like, this is too far. Get this crap out of here. Put it back with the sale, seasonal sale items if you want to keep this up in the store, but do not let my children see it, right? Like right now, like it should be back with the patio heaters and the Christmas lights. Way in the back, far back, that's where this crap goes. It should all probably also all be discounted because no one should be buying this at, for full price. It's ridiculous. My kids shouldn't be, even our culture gets that. We're talking $10 billion of revenue gone from both of those companies. Just doesn't exist anymore. But that's passive. Are you opening your mouth? Like even the dregs of our culture are willing to passively do things with extreme ideas. Are you willing to open your mouth? Are you willing to have a conversation with someone that does not worship God but seems to want to have conservative values? That's ridiculous. Why are you, what are you trying to conserve? That's stupid. I really, I really do. I think it's stupid. You don't have any objective source. Can I talk to you about why these things matter? About why there's, there's a reason why marriage is what it is. There's a reason why murder is wrong no matter what stage of life it's in. Like, do you ever think about having those conversations? Because passively, it's easy, right? That's why it's called passive. It's not active. I can assure you that every nation of the world was required to watch the children of Israel actively engage in the right worship of God. Every day, every day there was to be a sacrifice of burnt offering and food, food offering to the Lord from in the beginning and the end of every day, continuously forever. How do we actively engage in that type of worship because we are some of the only human beings on the entire face of the world given to rightly worship God? That's it. How do we do it? Are we engaging actively? Are we opening our mouths? Are we loving each other? Are we loving our enemies enough to let them know that they're even enemies of God? We don't even tell them they don't even know. They think we're that nice Christian folk that they get to hang out with. We don't judge them for their sin. Sin is fine. Sin is great. Sin is, hey, you know what? Even some of your sin, you can bring it over here. That's what we do. Open our mouths. We know this God. We know this God. This is the same God we know, the God that wants to be in community with his, with his people, the God that wants to call a people his people, that we can call a God, the God, that God, Yahweh, our God. He is your God and he is my God. If you are in Christ Jesus, this is true because we know Jesus was the tabernacle, John 1. We know it, the dwelling place of God, that we may meet with God. Jesus is the ram, he is, right? John chapter 2, that we may worship God. 
Jesus is the presence that makes us holy. His glory consecrates us, spilled at the, the tree of Calvary in his blood. We know this God. It's the same God that has saved us. Amen? Amen. The same God that we worship. Truly, it is. The question is, for us, why is it we forget so much to worship? And why is it we choose when we will speak? Why is it that the enemies of God think that the God you worship is actually their friend? That's the question. I don't want to call you to have no enemies. That lie has gotten the church exactly to where it is a hollowed-out institution likened to a museum, not an active, living organism that it is supposed to be. I'm going to call you to obedience. Have enemies. The enemies of God and love them. That's hard. It's super hard. I'm really sorry, but you're saved. You're righteous. You're holy because Christ has made you. And so it turns out when you're indwelt by the spirit of God, the very spirit of Christ, it's not as hard as you think. Take one step of obedience towards him, just one. And you will find out that God uses everything for his glory, everything. It gets crazy what he uses for his glory. I'm gonna give you one story to try to bring this all home, this idea that God has called a people to himself to rightly worship him and that we are that people. Like you are that people. Like are we saying, are you saying I'm the Israelites? I'm like, stop it, don't get distracted. I'm saying you have been called through Christ to be a son and daughter of the most high God, amen? You are his people. He uses everything for his glory. So just get on board and obey. You will see that he uses everything. You all know that I deliver boxes for UPS. That's what I do. It's my, it's my job, all right? So I, I was delivering to a house. I was delivering to a house a box of tile, one box of tile. For those of you that have tiled anything, you know that it comes in boxes. And you know that even on a good day, when you open up that box, you will find one or more of those tiles is cracked. <laughs> That's a good day, right? Now I have this box of tile going through the system of UPS. So it's been on several trucks. It's been driving over several, uh, it's been rolling on several conveyor belts. It's probably fallen several times. I have on my shelf dust and powder from what is clearly tiles from this box on my shelf, right? I'm picking it up. I'm feeling crusty.
Oh, oh, oh. Yahtzee. Okay. Let's, let's continue the story <laughs> right where we left off. Ooh, they. So I got this box of tiles that I know is broken. Now, here's the other thing I know because I deliver the same areas. I know that I've delivered a box of broken tiles to this house already. I also know that because I try to know these things and pay attention, and it's really important to me because it matters. The people, that ma- the people matter. I know that this is uh, a newer couple that's moved into uh, my, they've moved into the town that I deliver. They're there. They're they're new. They're they they. I, I've commented on his shirts before. I know that he has uh, a mindset that is you know generally conservative, like kind of likes America, even has an American flag, which sometimes is odd in the town that I deliver. And and he was wearing you know a. Um, a Wow, I'm totally blanking out. Black Rifle Coffee t-shirt, Coffee or Die, he had on. I, I walk up to him. He's coming out because he wants to tile because he just moved in, and they're tiling something, right? That's the idea. And one box of tiles already been broken, so he needs tile to finish tiling. He walks out. I say, oh, man, that's a great shirt. I was like, look, I'm really sorry. <laughs> if you can get these tiles locally, you really should because they're going to come like this almost every time, I guarantee, wherever they're coming from. And he's like, oh, man. He's like, I just need a few. I'm like... You know, can, like, did they let you keep the other box? Like, we just get into this conversation, right? Maybe you can piece enough good ones from this box and the good ones. And, I, and they, no, I had to send another other box back. And we're talking about tile, right? And you know, he, he's we're in this course of this conversation. He's like, yeah, we're you know, we we just moved here. He introduces himself. You know, we're um, we're just trying to you know, stay connected and get involved. And I'm, I look at his hat. Now, this is what I mean. This is what I want you to understand. God, everything is for glorifying God, and we need to obey. We need to follow what God has called us to do. You ready? Ready for the weird story? I look at his hat. His hat has two axes crossed on it, okay? And I know those axes. I know those axes because I'm actively currently reading uh, um, the, the Terminalist series, right? So uh, what's, the, what's the name of that? Ryan, the author of that? Jack? Carr. Carr, thanks. All right, so I've, I've got Jack Carr's books, and I, I'm, there's, there's name brand things in that. One, of that. one of the name brand things in the books is these types of axes. I know that those are those axes. I'm like, hey, I just got to ask you about your hat. Like, like, is that the actual like, brand? That, or did you just have like two axes on the front of your head? He's like, no. I, he's like, I love Jack Carr. I love the terminal list. And now we're talking about the terminal list, right? Next thing you know, that, you know what that leads to? You know, that leads to, you know, how they can't, you know, they can't make, write books like that anymore. They can't really read books. Like, how did, he, how did he put that prologue in the beginning of his book in 2017 when it's exactly about what the government did in COVID? It's crazy. We're just talking, right? And that leads to, oh, yeah, we're just, you know, trying to get connected, trying to meet good people, trying to, great. My wife's from Georgia. Like, oh, awesome. What does that leave me to? Really? Do you guys have a... Oh my gosh, right? Do you guys worship anywhere? Ah, you know, I've never, I've never really done that. But my wife's been looking. We went to uh, that, big, uh, that big church around the way over near Duffields. It's like a total guy, right? Like I've been to Duffields and there's a church on the way there. That's the one we went to, right? It's like, oh yeah, I know that one. It's like, look, if you ever, ever want to come to the church, we'd love to have you, right? You don't know what's going to lead you to a conversation about Christ. You do not know. Every stupid little thing that we think is stupid and little is for the glory of God. Amen? If you're just observant and willing to say something, to to open your mouth, it can be used for God's glory. But if we're going to be like Israel and we're going to get this amazing news 
that you are the only people rightly worshiping God on the face of the planet, and that we're going to disobey him, that shining light we are called to be is going to be ineffective. Look, God, God can call the rocks to give him glory. For some reason, he's called us. So let us be faithful to the same God who called his people to worship so long ago and is calling his people to worship now, amen? We're gonna move to the respond portion. For each one of us, obedience looks a little different. That's why it's such simple, simple but complex to follow Christ. Where would God be calling you? I don't know. You have to be sensitive to where he is actually calling you. We're going to move towards communion because a right remembrance of who he is helps us to identify accurately and obey, right? We're, we're obeying as we remember his sacrifice. Spend some time in prayer. Repentance is what we are called to do, right? And, and simultaneously, that is an act of obedience, and then we're called to obey. Lord God, where do you need me to obey? Where am I not giving my life to you? Where am I holding back to you? Where am I not loving others by speaking the truth? Lord God, help me to be bold. These are the things we should be crying out to the Lord in response, in right worship to the call of his word. After you spend some time in prayer, just as we often do when we take communion, after you respond to him in prayer, after you are communicating with the God who desires to communicate with you, grab a, a grape juice or wine and a cracker and then come back to your seat and then I'll come up and lead us corporately in a time of remembering the shed blood and broken body of Jesus Christ that calls us to obedience. Let's do that time now.